On our podcast today, we have Jana Dimitrova, the Chief Executive of Digital Banking as a Service Platform, OpenPaid. I'm a lawyer by background. I studied as a lawyer, trained as a lawyer, and worked as a lawyer for several years. First started in private practice, and then afterwards just felt that I needed to be close to a business in order to be able to steer a business, not just advice from the outside which is why I moved from out of private practice into being an in-house legal counsel. For several years I worked uh, within the payments industry looking after digital wallets and card processing. I spent six years with the Paysafe business where I was heading the legal and the regulatory of the two digital wallets, uh, Skrill and Nutella, and uh, I was also heading the uh, operations office of the Paysafe Group in Bulgaria. I'm Bulgarian originally. It was uh, by far the biggest and most important development center and support center for, for that business with about a thousand people as I was leaving the business. I hold an executive MBA as well here from the, the London Business School. Uh, as I finished that, I uh, moved out of Paysafe and joined OpenPaid, something that I'm very open about. I joined initially as a lawyer. The idea of the founder was to start building the in-house legal and regulatory function. Given the nature, the highly regulated nature of the business, we were obviously working very closely together on all aspects of the various businesses at the time because we had three regulated businesses and uh, I guess one thing led to another and he asked me for help to manage the businesses on, on a group level. So that's how I actually transitioned from being the lawyer to uh, being the person that takes all the blame, as I said <laughs> earlier. What was the difference between going from being a lawyer and then going into in-house and into a leadership role? Uh, that's a, a very interesting question. I think the, uh, well, there were two things. First of all, I think it was the, the plain and simple question in people's heads. Why is the lawyer asking me that question? Mm -hmm. um, but the second thing is really the people management aspect and I guess the extent to which the interaction with people was important because obviously as a lawyer it is very important that you have a good interaction with your so-called clients but the positions have always been reversed whereby I the lawyer had to deliver something for for my so-called client whether that's in a private practice setting or within within a business whereas moving into a management role the setup is actually reversed whereby one has to gear people around them to make sure that they deliver what, what one needs to execute uh, against a strategy. So by far the biggest challenge has been the management of people. Do you ever think that it would have been easier if you weren't a woman? The easiest answer would be to say yes. However, although being a woman brought its own difficulties, I very strongly feel that actually being a woman enabled me to manage many of the conflicts in the boardroom. Why? Because when I actually initially stepped into that role, the management team at the time was fully male. Male executives, highly experienced above a certain age, all coming into the room with their experience. And I honestly believe that actually being a woman 
to a large extent underestimated by them, allowed me to actually deliver certain very difficult messages and manage, almost act as the mediator between them. So from that standpoint, I think it has been an advantage to me rather than a disadvantage. Has it been difficult because of the fact that I have been underestimated? Yes, but I'm a firm believer that one should not necessarily focus on that so mm -hmm. much because ultimately I believe that regardless of background, regardless of gender or race, uh, ultimately it is about the strength of your voice and the, uh, the, the value of your message. So if you have a message that does make sense, whether that's on a business standpoint or a strategy or, or vision, and if your voice is loud enough, so to speak, as in if you can bring sensible arguments to the table, it shouldn't really matter what your background is or how you look like. Do you want to talk me through your uh, product offering at OpenPaid? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, at OpenPaid, we offer digital banking as a service for corporates. The main reason why we do that is because we believe, as we have experienced it ourselves firsthand, is that there is a significant gap in the marketplace that is left by traditional incumbent banks. We believe that banks today are to a large extent either unable or not necessarily willing to service the needs of corporate clients when it comes to cross-border payments and, and banking services. Access to, uh, to banking is, is, as a result, heavily restricted. So what we're aiming to, to achieve is to actually deliver through a single platform and through a single point of access, which can be either web or single API, to any corporate of any size access to services uh, that can enable them to basically uh, manage all of their payments needs, all of their FX needs and all of their banking needs and do that across borders, not just in Europe but also beyond. We're present in the US, in Canada, in Turkey and we're in process of expanding in, into Asia. So we're working and focusing largely on facilitating and enabling other financial institutions like acquiring banks, FX brokers, PSPs, also uh, um, marketplaces, marketplaces from a broad range of industries, whether that's travel or retail or mobility services, with a view of again enabling them to plug into our platform once and manage all of their payments and banking needs on a cross-border basis. On the podcast last time, I know you discussed how banking is in this current state unfit for purpose and you partner with the banks. When it comes to that partnership, how do you work? Yeah, so uh, let me let me make it very clear. We're not really here to put any blame on banks or to wage a war against banks or to, to even compete with banks. Why? Because the marketplace really is large enough for everyone and we see that very well. So uh, we have absolutely no intention of saying that we can provide a richer offering that a Barclays bank can do today by way of example. No, we are actually partnering with, with banks. 
why? Because there are different segments of the market that incumbent banks are servicing today and segments that we are servicing today. And you're absolutely right. To a large extent, we are today relying on traditional banks for our own access to the various payment schemes, whether that's going to be the faster payment scheme here in the UK or, or the SWIFT network. And ultimately, the reality is uh, we see that uh, there are a number of industry verticals that banks, for whatever reason, are unable to service, and they're actually passing on that business to us. So uh, I guess we have a, a very good relationship with all of our partner banks. They're not just suppliers of ours, but they're also partners referring new business to us, either because they cannot services themselves or because they don't necessarily have the uh, the currency and, 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 and the, 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 the breadth of service offering that we can offer, or because they don't have a technology that is as flexible as, as the client requires it to be. So for us, uh, the relationship with our banks is, is incredibly important and we work very closely with them to make sure that we can actually service segments that require that more flexible cross-border technology and, and service offering. The fact that you are a female CEO, how does that play into those partnerships? Our, our banking providers are very important partners of ours. We, we see all of our banks and the network as not just uh, the supply side, but we see them as an integral part to the ecosystem for the digital banking platform that we create. My being the uh, the leader of that business, I don't necessarily think that that has any implication or a negative implication, yeah. so to speak. Again, is it easy for a small company, a startup company, and a management or a manager that does not necessarily have the length of experience within traditional banking to actually foster those relationships with the tier one banks? No, absolutely it isn't. And I'm going to be very upfront about that. However, do we feel that we have in any way been impaired from doing business? I certainly hope that that, that is not, not the case. But again, would it have been easier to say foster tier one banking relationships if I were a uh, a male CEO coming from a tier one bank with 30 years of experience, yes, probably mm. that would be the case. That would have mm. been the case, yeah. One very important thing to emphasize is that I, in my career personally, have always been supported by senior male managers. And I wouldn't be where I am today had that not been the case, both within my career within within Paysafe, both with the support of doing an, an executive MBA, and even here having the, I guess, ultimately trust and, and backing of our of our founder. My personal experience again circles around the utmost importance of first of all quality education and then from there onwards really hard work integrity and really that strength of voice and that ultimately that strength of voice only comes through experience and the experience only comes on the back of, of education. So I'm a, a big believer in ensuring that everyone and especially all I guess girls and women can get access to the right education so that they can then progress from there onwards. That being said, I think it is incredibly important to have a 
a diverse team. I see this in the growth of, of our business. The more we have been diversifying the, the decision makers around this table and, and on the floor as well with the next layer of mid-managers, I think the, the faster we grow and the better we, we execute. Based on the evolution of the team that I see, I can easily say that one of the best performers that we have within, within our teams are are women and are also women that are juggling uh, not just the professional aspect of things but actually juggling multiple commitments both within their professional life but also on, on a personal level. Do you have any measures in place to ensure diversity in your team? Frankly we are a very small company still at this stage, a very small company that is entirely focused on growth and that trajectory of growth. We are definitely talking about diversity within the boardroom and it is part of the agenda of our people and talent team. If you were to ask me whether we have strict quotas in place, no, that's not something that, that we have at this stage, but it is uh, something that has been and is being constantly, I guess, raised by each one of our managers and also by the, uh, the people and, and talent team. And I think we all see collectively the benefit of, of having different voices around the table. And when I say different, and when we talk about diversity, it's not just male or female, it's about background, it's about different nationalities. We have an incredibly diverse management team around the table. It's about different experiences and, and people coming from different walks in, in life. People I've spoken to, they say that it isn't really about having the quotas. It's about having a set of values when you hire. I would say that with us, that really starts with the very top. And when I say the very top, I mean it starts with our founder. Our founder is a very strong advocate for diversity and he's also a very strong advocate for female managers and I think that makes my job and the job of our people and talent team and all of the other managers much easier. In terms of the values, again I'm, I'm a firm believer that the values are not something that we stick on a wall or we send in a corporate email. The values are ultimately how we act every day and even more so how people perceive us to be acting every day. That being said, I, I do like to think that diversity and promoting people on the basis of meritocracy, their skill set and, and how much they're dedicated to the business and how much they're applying themselves to, to the business is a value that we, we live and breathe because it is certainly something that both our founder and myself close, hold very close to our hearts. Is there anything you would like to see either the industry or the regulators do to promote more diversity? That's a very interesting question. When it comes to the industry, what I would probably like to see is a slight shift in the talk and the tone when it comes to women in payments or women in banking. I don't think that women in payments and banking should be singled out as an odd species. So. I think the talk within the industry has to change around the place of women within this business because the reality is that there are not that many women, especially in leadership position within the payments industry. It's a very male 
dominated industry. So I think what, what we actually need is some of the, the people that sit at the helm of the larger players to actually, for themselves, to see the need of having more diverse teams and actually find a way of including them in the management process and in the decision making rather than just saying we need to promote women because they are women. This is really not the way to, to go about it and again I don't believe in quotas nor do I believe in that narrative and unfortunately it is a narrative that we see dominating the space today which is one of the reasons why I'm holding back from participating in many of those discussions. So that's when it comes to uh, the industry. I think from a regulator's perspective it's really difficult to focus on regulation, especially when it comes to the regulation of financial services. I think it's a broader topic and goes back to the access to education. So if I had to answer your question, can regulators do something? Yes, absolutely. They have to ensure that there is equal access to education, that girls are stimulated to follow certain educational paths so that they can then access the payments industry or, or the banking industry. Again, otherwise we would be talking about quotas and a regulator forcing management teams and founders to put females within within the management bodies. Is this effective? Is this efficient? It's probably better than nothing, but is this going to solve the problem in the long term and, and ensure an equilibrium in the workforce? No, I don't think so. If it is regulatory action that, that we're talking about, again, I would go way outside and way beyond payments and banking and, and go back to, to education.